this edition of Back to Basics with Pastor Brian Broderson. You know, the longer I live and the more I experience life and the more I see what's happening in our world and the more I listen to the voice of man and the more I meditate on God's Word, I just become more and more convinced of the truth of God's Word. You know, the older I get and the more I see, it doesn't cause me to question the truth of God's Word. It affirms to me the truth of God's Word. Today on Back to Basics, Pastor Brian continues his study in the book of Revelation. Join us as Pastor Brian concludes his teaching on Revelation chapter 21, verses 1 through 7, in a message titled, God is with us. Now, here's Pastor Brian. He who sat on the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. And he said to me, write, for these words are true and faithful. God's going to make everything new. And you know what? We can't even really imagine what that's like. We really can't. There's, we can only go so far. God's given us somewhat of a description here in the verses that we're looking at. And we might be able to use our imaginations and kind of, you know, elaborate on what what he's given us. But the truth of the matter is God making all things new, we can't really grasp it. Ephesians 3.20, a, a verse that many are familiar with, it tells us something about this, this very thing. Paul says, now unto him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we could ask or imagine. Now, Paul is saying that the greatest thing we could think to ask for, this will far exceed it. As far as our imagination can take us in considering the goodness and the glory and the beauty and the, the, the wonder of God, our imagination can only take us so far. And, and this is true when it comes to the things that we're talking about here. We need the Spirit of God to even give us a little, just a, a little taste of what these realities are. But he's going to make all things new. And then uh, just almost as though God anticipates the, the human response, oh, could it really be? Oh, I, I just can't even, I, I don't know if I could even believe that. He reminds us these words are faithful and true. These words are faithful and true. You know, the longer I live and the more I experience life and the more I, I see what's happening in our world and the more I listen to the voice of man uh, and the more I meditate on God's word, I, I just become more and more and more and more convinced of the truth of God's word. You know, the, the older I get and the more I see, it doesn't cause me to question the truth of God's word. It affirms to me the truth of God's word. Because the longer we go and the more we see the, the influence of the truth of the Christian gospel uh, waning in the culture and the more we see that the, that the, the human mind is setting forth the ideas of the day and the, and the standards of the day, the more you realize, man, this is, this is crazy. This is, this is nuts. 
There's an article this past week in the um, Atlantic Monthly, and the article is written by a, a philosopher, and he's talking about the growing trend among scientists and philosophers to embrace uh, the idea of determinism, a biological determinism. And the, the article, I, I think the, the, the title or you know, the, the subtitle is, is something to the effect that um, man doesn't really have free will, but we should not let that word get out. So, so here's the idea. This is, the, this is what's coming forth from the, the supposed brilliant minds of the day, the great thinkers, scientifically and philosophically, that you are nothing but chemistry. All of your feelings, all of your desires, all of your thoughts, and ultimately your behavior is not rooted in any decisions that you make about anything. It's all predetermined by your, the chemistry in your brain. And some people's chemistry in their brain leads them to be nice and kind and gentle and sweet and benevolent and all of that. And then, you know, some other people's chemistry in their brain leads them to be hateful and spiteful and murderous. And, but you know, in the end, who can, you can't really blame anybody. It's not their fault. It's, this is biological determinism. So this is, this is what the great minds of the day are saying. Well, in, in the end, of course, you, if that's true, you could never even conclude that there's anything right or wrong. So the, the end of the article is essentially saying, look, this is probably true, but we shouldn't tell people this. Because if we tell them, they're not responsible. They already feel that anyway. <laughs> but if we tell them, we're, we give a license for anarchy and insanity. So, so this, if you want to follow man's philosophy, if you want to put your stock in what people think about life and what the truth is and all of that, that's the road you're going to go down. But when I hear those kinds of things, to me, it's just an affirmation that, man, this is the truth right here. You know, the truth is that which corresponds to reality. And what the Bible tells me about life and humanity, that corresponds to reality. Biological determinism does not correspond to reality. These things are faithful and true. Everything that God has said about man is true. And history is just revealing that to be the case. But listen, everything that God says about the future is true as well. And what we're reading here today, it might sound too good to be true, but it is true. It is good for sure, but it's also true that God is going to create a new heaven and a new earth wherein righteousness dwells. I make all things new. And then we see that upon that declaration, and remember, it's him who's sitting upon the throne who's making this declaration. Then he gives an invitation and he gives promises. The invitation is this. He said, it is done. I am the Alpha, the Omega, the beginning and the end. I will give, here's the invitation, of the fountain of the water of life freely to him who thirsts. So now remember, we're looking at the future. We're looking at the new heaven and the new earth, 
But God is still inserting an appeal to those like us who are living before the realization of these things and giving us the invitation to come and be part of it. I will give of the water of life freely to the one who thirsts. The Bible uses water oftentimes as a symbol of the life of the Spirit, the life that God gives. You know, think of, think of water. Water is so amazing. Uh, to me, there, there are a few things that I just, I, I think about. I think, gosh, Lord, this is so brilliant. Sleep is a brilliant thing to me. You know, that you kind of just go into like a coma for some hours and and then you wake up and, you know, you're, you're rejuvenated, you're refreshed. I mean, you think, wow, God, you know, God puts you to sleep and he wakes you up. That, that's fascinating to me. Water's the same way. I think of water. I think of all the things that, that water does and the, the necessity of water. And of course, water does many, many, many things. But one of the things that we appreciate most about it is that it quenches thirst like nothing else that it satisfies like nothing else, that it refreshes like nothing else. You know, uh, I, you know we were re- recently over in Israel and then we went to Jordan and we went to the, to the rock city of, of Petra there. And, you know, it's just smack out in the middle of the desert. And you wonder, you know, how did this civilization even exist? Well, what happened is they had this elaborate a water system that they developed there out in the desert in the city. And the city flourished as long as the water was available. But when an earthquake struck and altered the city's ability to access the water like it once had, the city went into decline. And it finally, the whole center of life there finally just disappeared uh, after another earthquake that completely dealt with uh, this, the, the ability of the community to access water, took it away, and the civilization there perished. But water, but Jesus here and in other places, he, he likens his salvation to water. Remember what he says to the woman at the well? He's talking, uh, she's coming out to the well to, to draw water, to, to drink and so forth. And uh, Jesus says, you know, give me a drink. And uh, then he says, you know, she says, well, who are you? And they have this conversation. And he says to her, if you drink this water, you'll thirst again. But if you drink the water that I will give, he's talking about salvation and the ability of him and him alone to satisfy. Uh, We read, that's in John chapter four. Later on in John chapter uh, eight, or the end of chapter seven, we read about Jesus being at the Feast of Tabernacles. And on the last day, the great day of the feast, he stands up there on the steps that would lead up to the temple. And he says to the crowd, if anyone thirst, let him come to me and drink. So my point is that water is oftentimes a picture of salvation. And that's certainly what it's being referred to here, the water of life. And the water of life is free. So the invitation, the invitation is to come and receive. I will give of the fountain of the water of life freely to him who thirsts. To him who thirsts. Every single person has a thirst. We, we, we're all 
living with that, that sense that there's something that's missing in my life. And we, we can't even put a finger on it. We don't even really know what it is. But that sends us on a search for fulfillment. And we go to all of these places seeking for fulfillment. And we think it's going to be in the pursuit of pleasure or the pursuit or attaining of power. Or we think it's going to happen if we can just get more money or if we can get more prestige or if we can just get connected to, you know, a better group of people or if we could live in a different community or, you know, all of the different things we imagine are going to be the thing that's going to bring that, that final satisfaction where we can settle down and just enjoy life. They never come. They just keep going from one thing to another. There might be sort of a temporary satisfaction. But you know, after a while, it, it just kind of the newness wears off. And then there you go back on the search again. That's the story of life here on earth. But Jesus gives the water of life. He gives it freely. He gives it to those who thirst. And the invitation is being extended here once again that... Anyone who is thirsty would come and receive the water freely because the promise then is that they who do that, they are the overcomers who shall inherit all things. Inherit all things. You know, this is something that you have to take by faith, but this is the truth of the matter. God's gonna give everything to those who have followed him. And that's why he tells us things like, Deny yourself, take up the cross, follow me. That's why he says, he who would uh, save his life will lose it. He who loves his life in this world is gonna lose it. He who hates his life is gonna keep it for eternal life. You see, the Lord could call us to and tell us with confidence that we don't need to strive to attain to a position or possessions or whatever it might be. Let our passions control us. We shouldn't strive to attain those things because those who do, who live for those things, all of those things are gonna vanish. All of those things will ultimately be taken from them. And God's gonna give everything to those who have followed him. That's what he's going to do. He who overcomes, she who overcomes shall inherit all things. And the all things that we're going to inherit, listen, they're the things not even of this world, but of the new world that's coming. You know, whatever you inherit in this world is bound to become corrupted. It is bound to wear out. It is bound to run down. Like Jesus told us, he said, store up treasure in heaven where moth and rust do not corrupt and thieves cannot break in and steal. Because you store up treasure on earth, eventually it's gonna become worthless. But the Lord is gonna give us all things. God has made all things. When he originally created man and he created the world, it was so that man might enjoy the world. Man rebelled, messed everything up. God's gonna do it all over again, and it's never gonna mess up this time. And those who overcome, and we overcome by faith in Christ, those who overcome are going to inherit all things, and then we will come to that place like we began with, the ultimate goal and objective of God to live in fellowship with us. I will be his God, her God, he 
She will be my son, my daughter. That's the end of the story. That's what God has planned for us. And so since this is the reality, since this is the truth, you see, again, Jesus, and, and look, the whole Bible is about this. The whole Bible is about this is coming in the future. And faith says, I believe that this is true. Therefore, I'm going to deny myself in this world and I'm gonna live for the next world. And I'm gonna count on this with my very life. I'm gonna count this to be true and I'm gonna wait for the promises of God rather than try to fulfill myself here and now. But listen, the ultimate objective is God with us. But God's with us still, today even, right? So we, we get a taste of it today, but the fullness of it is coming in the future. But let's not be lured away from that fountain of the water of life. Let's not go out thinking that we're going to find this somewhere else. If we're feeling dry, if we're feeling thirsty again, we need to go back to the source. We need to go back to the fountain of the water of life and drink it freely. It's, it's available to us today. You know, thinking about what, what will that be like? God with us, us with God, there in his presence. What will that be like? Well, again, it's, it's hard to even imagine what it's going to be like. C.S. Lewis, once again, put it so, I think, really appropriately in his conclusion to the Chronicles of Narnia. And if you've never read the Chronicles of Narnia, you should read them. They're great children's stories, but they're not really children's stories. They're children and adult stories, but they're, they're stories about Narnia, this, this land, this imaginary land that is really C.S. Lewis's way of communicating biblical truth through that kind of imagery. And there's Aslan, the, the king of Narnia, who is a picture of Jesus. And there, he, he intertwines and weaves into these stories all, all of the great truths of Scripture. But in the very final book of the series, the, the Last Battle, and of course, it's the conclusion of everything, and he has them transitioning from this life and even life in Narnia into the eternal state. Listen to what he says. He says, all their life in this world and all their adventures had only been the cover and the title page. Now at last, they were beginning chapter one of the great story, listen, which no one on earth has read, which goes on forever in which every chapter is better than the one before. I love that because that's the truth. As we go into the eternal age, we are going into chapter one of the great story that no one has ever read. So these, the things that God has in store for us, it's, it's like God said, eye has not seen, ear has not heard. It's not even entered into the heart of man, the things that God has prepared for those who love him. God's given us, though, little taste of it by his spirit. And we can even think a little bit about what it might be like when we think about what it was like when Jesus was here. Because, of course, Jesus was the first phase of the fulfillment of the promise, God is with us. And what was it like when Jesus was with the disciples? Have you ever been reading through the Gospels and wished that you could have been there? You think, oh, 
man, I, w- I wish I would have been there. I wish I could have seen that or experienced that. But you know, think about it. What, what, what was it like to have God with you? Well, you weren't worried about anything. You weren't fearful because, you know, he, he could take care of it. If you were hungry, Jesus just created some food for you. He took a few loaves of bread and a few small fish and he fed thousands of people. If you were in the midst of a storm and your life was threatened, what did Jesus do? Well, he just stood up and said, peace, be still. If you were accosted by a demoniac, what did Jesus do? He just cast the demon out of the person. If you were confronted with the death of a loved one, what did Jesus do? He raised him from the dead. And all of those things were just a a little bit of a taste of what it was to have God with us. And remember that passage in Luke after Jesus has, has already risen from the dead and the, that, that those two men on the road to Emmaus, they, they encountered the resurrected Christ. They didn't realize it was him until after the fact. But then as they were describing their experience, they, they said concerning him, they said, did not our hearts burn within us as he spoke to us and he opened to us the scriptures? So, you know, the, these are all of the, the things that we can look back on and we, we can reflect and we can say, well, you know, this is, this is what it's like to have God with us. But this is a, a, a different situation because the context will be different. There will be no death, nor sorrow, nor crying, nor pain for the former things have passed away. So it won't be in the same context, but it will be the same Lord who is with us and we are with him. And that's the final promise. I will be his God. I will be her God and they shall be my people. And that wonderful purpose that God originally intended when he created the human race will be realized and worked out through all of eternity. And and all of that is just so absolutely amazing. But like I said, the alternative to this is, is just these days, it's just bald-faced materialism, that you are just a material being, that you have no soul, that there is nothing after death, that you're just all, you know, it's all determined by your, your chemistry in, in your brain, and, and there's no right, there's no wrong. You live, you die, you do whatever, you, you disappear. You know, some people want to believe that, and they can, but it flies in the face of, everything that we see as reality. And it flies in the face of everything that a person knows deep in their innermost being. Because these words are faithful and true. This is the truth that God is going to create a new heaven and a new earth in which righteousness will dwell and we will be there with him for days without end and each and every day will be better than the one before. And now let's join Pastor Brian in the studio as he shares about this month's resource. One of my favorite topics is history, and church history is 
a part of that. I've read many church history books, and I recently read a fantastic book by an author named John Dixon, and the book is called Bullies and Saints. And the subtitle is An Honest Look at the Good and Evil in Christian History. And John is an Australian. He is an apologist. He is also a historian, and he does an excellent job at looking at both the good and the bad things in church history. So if you're into history, I think knowing church history is important for Christians. I highly recommend Bullies and Saints by John Dixon. Again, this month's resource is a book titled Bullies and Saints, An Honest Look at the Good and Evil of Christian History by John Dixon. You can order the book Bullies and Saints by going to our website, backtobasicsradio.com. Scroll down until you see the photo of it and then click on the donate button. When you give a gift to Back to Basics, we'll send you the book The Bullies and Saints by John Dixon to help you understand both the good and bad historical contributions of Christianity. It's our way of saying thank you for your generous support of this ministry. We'd also like to remind you that all of our other resources are waiting for you at backtobasicsradio.com or by calling our request line at 1-800-733-6443. That's 1-800-733-6443. Our desire is to encourage you in your daily walk with God. We'll continue next time with more valuable insights from Pastor Brian as we study together in the book of Revelation. Basics is the preaching and teaching ministry of Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa, California.